The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, 11 months into the cruise industry shutdown. Yeah. Coming up on a year, big 12-month anniversary on what, uh, March 13th, I believe? Something like that. We're going to get a review from Ashley this week of the Seaborn Sojourn. It was an 11-night cruise up to Alaska. I believe it was from Vancouver up to Anchorage. Plus, Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. A quick reminder before we get to Sherry, Cruise Radio News Briefs Monday through Friday, five days a week right there opposite of this channel. So just type in Cruise Radio News where you listen to your favorite podcast. And also in video form now, if you want to check out the video presentation of Cruise Radio News, you can do that on our YouTube channel as well as our social media channels. All right, Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hey, Sherry. Hello, Doug. It looks like the dominoes could be getting set up to fall as the first cruise line has canceled into early summer. So this morning, Norwegian Cruise Line canceled cruises until June of this year. So all three brands under the Norwegian Cruise Line holdings, and that includes Norwegian, Oceana, and Regent, have just said, that's it, nothing until June. And their cancellation policy for Norwegian is pretty much the same as it's been. They will automatically refund any paid cruise fare to the original form of payment. And they're saying they will have them processed by March 23rd, 2021, not 2022. And they're also going to give a 10% off future cruise credit, and that will automatically be applied to the guest's account. All right. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Carnival has already started setting the stage on giving guests flexibility between now and July 31st. So we'll see who is next in the uh, cancellation scheme of things. All right. Nassau said cruise ships could start calling there pretty soon. Yep. So according to an article published in the Nassau Guardian, the Bahamian cruise port would welcome cruise ships within the next two months, specifically from Royal Caribbean Group and Carnival. And the idea would be to use the port of Nassau as a simulated port call. So all of this would happen. So the cruise lines, as well as the port of NASA, they could test their ability now to comply with the CDC's conditional sailing order for safety and health protocols. But no sooner was this article published that both Royal Caribbean and Carnival canceled all cruises for the month of April. According to the CEO of Nassau Cruise Port, they have already filled 950 cruise berth slots for the rest of this year with some ships reserving an overnight stay. Hmm. So they are hopeful. Yeah, for sure. Royal Caribbean is the next cruise line to require crew vaccinations. Yeah, Royal Caribbean Group is joining the ranks of a handful of other cruise lines and will mandate that all crew members receive a COVID-19 vaccination before joining their ship. The vaccine requirement extends to all three brands, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, and Silver Sea. 
In an email that Royal Caribbean sent to crew members, it stated that the logistics of where, when, and how the vaccine would be administered was yet to be determined. Already stating that vaccines will be required for crew members are all three of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings brands and the small ships of American Queen Steamboat Company, Victory Cruise Lines, plus UK-based Saga Cruises have announced they will require both crew and passengers to be vaccinated. And finally, a cruise line has come out about the Alaska seas, and it seems to be like the elephant in the room. No cruise line wants to talk about it, but Royal seems to be uh, optimistic. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Even though Canada has issued an extended ban on large cruise ships until February of 2022, Royal Caribbean and Celebrity have decided not to cancel their Alaska and Canada New England sailings just yet. This includes cruises that would embark or disembark passengers from all Canadian ports, plus cruises that make the mandatory service call to Canada during a cruise. Royal Caribbean Group and Cruise Lines International Association are in talks with the Canadian and U.S. government to try to come up with a plan to allow Alaska and East Coast cruises sometime this year. Holland America and Princess Cruises will open their Denali lodges in Alaska this summer, however, So if you want to get there by flying in or take the Alaska Marine Highway Ferry, you still can get to Alaska. It just won't be on a large cruise ship unless things change. There's definitely conversations being had between CLIA, which is the Cruise Lines International Association, the U.S. government and the Canadian government, about possibly allowing the ships to just call in Victoria, Columbia, or British Columbia, rather, just as a technical stop not letting guests off, but just to do it to try to save the Alaska season. But still too early to tell. It's a wait-and-see game, Sherry. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't know if there's a special detail that has to be worked out to, mm-hmm. in order to do that quick stop. And another cruise line is showing us that the machines are in control. Yeah, MSC Cruises is designing a futuristic-themed area for its soon launch MSC Virtuosa Details released by the cruise line's idea of what the interior of a spaceship might look like includes digital wall art, 3D holograms, and a 12-seat infinity digital interactive table where you can take yourself on your own special galactic tour. One high point of this Jetsons experience will be Rob, a robotic bartender with a humanoid persona, So while mixing and serving drinks, Rob will interact with patrons on a conversational level. To place their orders, guests will use vertical digital cockpits, and then Rob the robot will mix and pour the cocktails. Because MSC attracts an international list of passengers, Rob will be able to speak eight languages, and guests will choose which language to use when they place their order. Yeah, Royal Caribbean debuted that first robot, uh, what was it, in 2014, then Costa did, with Pepper, I believe, was the robot's name, and now this. So, well, at least they can't get COVID. At least they didn't name it Tobor. (laughs) Exactly. All right, listener question comes from Kayla. I have a cruise booked for December and haven't really been shopping around outside of that. My question is, should we expect prices to rise due to ships not filling all the rooms? There's such a pent-up demand to cruise. I'm afraid the competition will be steep for quite a while. Hi, Kayla. And yes, you are on the right track because it's all about supply and demand. And as the stateroom availability will be lower and demand to cruise again increases, it wouldn't surprise me that prices will be higher than usual. 
However, you know, if there's a sailing that you really want, and if you're certain you can get a refund on your deposit without losing anything, you know, if, if you pay additional monies for any onboard or shore excursions, make sure you can get everything back and then keep a close eye on the pricing. But, you know, it's also a good idea because the cruise lines are going to have all these promotions flashing in our faces. So really evaluate whether or not any of the perks that are included with the price are actually worth it for what your needs might be. So a stateroom upgrade offer is always nice, but be sure to look closely at the fine print because usually it means an upgrade within the same category that you've booked, you know, generally an inside to a higher inside or ocean view to a higher ocean view. And rarely, if ever, do cruise lines offer an upgrade from an ocean view to a balcony stateroom, but it does happen and those are really cool. And also make sure to check that a promotional rate or added perks are transferable to another sailing should you decide to just postpone your cruise. All right, Kayla, I hope that helped you. We've been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Doug. Breaking news as it happens. Online and on demand at CruiseRadio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Cruise Radio. Maintaining our global reach. Listen live at cruiseradio.net. So last summer, Ashley took an 11-night cruise aboard Seaborn Sojourn. Seaborn is a luxury cruise line, and this was an 11-night cruise from Vancouver, British Columbia, up to the Anchorage, Alaska area. And Ashley joins us on the line. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my first question is, um, this is a luxury cruise line. So what separates a luxury cruise line from a mass market cruise line like a Norwegian Royal or Carnival? The big thing for me was the pricing. Generally, Mm -hmm. a luxury cruise is a little more expensive, but you get inclusions that aren't necessarily found on some of the larger lines. Um, It varies by luxury line, but some of them will include alcohol, as was the case on this ship for lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. And others will include free shore excursions, things like alternate dining that's included. Um, And in the case of Sojourn, there's the grill by Thomas Keller, which was phenomenal. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But the service is another aspect. It's always above and beyond the ratio of passengers to crew is almost one to one mm-hmm. on sojourn. So you get a lot of personalized attention, a lot of people just catering to whatever it is that you need. And I think too, the ships are also a little more toned down on a luxury sailing. You won't get as many of the flashy lights or bright colors. They're usually a little bit more subdued. 
Yeah. So I think yeah. those are the major differences. Yeah, and I guess because it is a, you know, you said there's a, a, a lower guest to crew ratio um, or crew to guest ratio, I guess, you know, it's a smaller ship too then, right? Like this one's 650 feet long and only carries 450 guests on board. Yes. So it's it's very tiny compared to most of the, the mainstream sailings that I've been on. And we'll get into more of this later, I think, too. But it also, with a smaller ship, you can go into some tinier ports where larger ships can't fit. And that's a nice change of pace, too. Was this your first luxury cruise you've ever done? I did a Viking Ocean sailing a few years ago, which okay. I also loved. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, it's the first one I've done in a while. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So you make your way over to Vancouver, British Columbia. Did you do any pre-cruise time before your cruise? Yeah, we flew in a, a day early and we stayed at the Pan Pacific Hotel, which is directly connected to the Canada Place cruise terminal, which is where the ship was docked the next day for us to board. So that made it really painless to just kind of wake up in the morning, grab our bags and head down to the ship. We also ate at some local restaurants and there's a really nice waterfront boardwalk. So we got our morning run in and we did something called Flyover Canada. Um, if you've ever been to Disney, it's kind of similar to the Soren ride where you feel like you're, I don't know, like hand gliding or something over different areas in Canada. So that was pretty cool. So you go to Embark Seaborn Sojourn. How was the embarkation process? Because I'm, I'm thinking like with only 450 guests on board, it can't be that crazy. It was not crazy at all. It, um, I've done other like larger cruises out of Canada Place and breezed right through embarkation on those ships. So this one was even faster, which is amazing. That port really does have their embarkation down like clockwork. And the fact that there are so few passengers on Sojourn just made it that much quicker. We, I, I think maybe we saw five other people in the whole terminal when we were going through to get on the ship. So it was really, really fast. And one thing I like about Vancouver, too, when you're embarking there, you actually clear customs before you get on the ship for when you're getting off the ship. So you go through that big customs process with the form and everything. Uh, do you remember that part? Yeah, I I believe it's just because it, it shares a border with the U.S., so they're able to do that, and it saves a lot of time when you do get to your destination. Yeah, for sure. So you make your way on board. What were your first impressions of the ship? Um, like I said before, it, it was definitely more subdued, uh, a lot of neutral colors, very elegant, very – it felt it got like a relaxing vibe. The crew were super helpful directing everyone to their cabins, and it just – it's it's not the same – feeling that you would get on like a Royal Caribbean or a carnival. It felt more intimate for sure, just because of the size. You were saying it's more subdued. So like right when you walk on the ship, you're not hearing like the loud music or anything like a mass market line. Correct. Yeah, it was. I mean, there might've been like piano music or something Mm -hmm. um, in the atrium, but it was not, you're not hearing steel drums. You're not hearing the Cupid shuffle. You're not hearing pounding club music or anything of that sort. What was your impression as far as like, okay, so I think of luxury cruise, my mind automatically goes to like coat and tie and I don't know, you know, I don't want to say hoity-toity, but you know, some, you know, a dress code that I'm not used to on a daily basis. Was it anything like that? It was for dinner. I mean, there were no, no one had a tux on or anything that I saw Mm -hmm. or a ball gown or anything like that. So in that sense, it's a little more of a dressed down affair, but they don't allow jeans in any 
of the dining venues, including the buffet, after mm-hmm. I think it's like 6 p.m. Okay. The only place where they allow them at night for dining is out on the pool deck area at Earth and Ocean, it's called. And it is it is waiter served, but it's like, it's very, very casual. And during the day, I mean, anytime you take an Alaska cruise, it's going to be more casual by default because you're dealing with hiking and nature. And so you're not going to wear your Sunday best out mm-hmm. in port. Most people that we saw had like nice jeans on, uh, on the ship during right. the day or like khakis or even sort of those like cargo tech pants that are good for, for being outside and going mm-hmm. on hikes and stuff. Okay. So you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you have on this 11 night cruise and what were your thoughts of it? Um, I loved it. We had a category V5 veranda suite. So what's interesting about this ship is all of the cabins are referred to as suites, even though they are not all technically that like two room setup. There are no inside cabins on the whole ship. And every cabin, as far as I know, has it's it's they're very spacious. And there's a curtain that you can pull across to divide so that it's instead of one room, it's like two different areas where there's the bed on one side and then the other side has um, like a, a full size table with two chairs. So you can do in-room dining um, and a sofa. We also had a balcony in ours, which was fairly large and had like a t- couple of lounge chairs and uh, a drinks table that was actually large enough to hold our drinks. The bathroom was absolutely gorgeous. It had dual sinks It had a walk-in shower, but also a separate bathtub, which is super rare on cruise ships. And the closet was a walk-in closet, which I absolutely loved because with all the gear you need to pack for Alaska, it was great to have the space to store everything. There was a flat screen TV and they offer a surprisingly decent selection of free movies that's pretty up to date. So that was nice on you know, chilly, rainy days at sea when I just kind of felt like lying in bed. (laughs) You were talking about the walk-in closet. And one thing I've noticed uh, being in port with a seaborne ship, um, everyone has these blue jackets on. Are these issued by the cruise line? They are. Um, In certain destinations, seaborne will provide jackets and they ask you to order them beforehand so that there's one available in your size. And when you get to your cabin, they're laying on the um, on the bed for you. And on the second day of the cruise, if your jacket doesn't fit, you can go to a swap that they host. So Mm -hmm. you can trade sizes with somebody who has the size that you need. Um, The ship usually does order a couple of extras just in case, but I'll tell you what, those jackets really came in handy um, in port. It it rained a couple days while we were there, and I was so glad that I had the jacket. The only thing to keep in mind is you'll want to save some room in your luggage to take it home because uh, I didn't really account for that and had to (laughs) tie it around my waist, (laughs) Um, which is not fun going through the airport. And the, I mean, the walk-in closet was, was fabulous. There was more than enough space to store all of our luggage, all of our, you know, binoculars, umbrellas, hiking boots, all of it. Mm-hmm. Another thing I really liked about the cabins is that there are USB ports right next to the bed. So you can plug your phone in to charge overnight or, you know, any number of other devices that use the USB ports. Mm-hmm. And another really cool thing that I enjoyed was not only do they bring the next day's schedule to your room, like while you're at dinner during turndown, they also leave a list of the menus for the following day. So you can plan where you want to eat 
Um, and if you have dietary restrictions, obviously you should let the ship know ahead of time so they can cater for that. But it does make it easier to decide where you're going to eat if you have restrictions. Well, let's move on to dining now then. Um, how was the dining experience? And we'll start in the main dining room and then kind of go out from there. So as far as the main dining room seating, is it kind of come as you are? Is I mean, With only 450 people on board, how does that work in there? It's all open seating, which is great. So you're not tied to a dining time and there are no set waiters or table mates or anything like that. So it's very flexible. You just show up between set hours. The food was fantastic. The service was amazing, and it was really elegant in terms of decor. They have sort of like white gauzy curtains up and throughout the room, and it, it just made it feel light and airy. And it's interesting because it, it sort of made me feel like um, there was a Caribbean vibe going on, even though mm-hmm. we were in Alaska. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of interesting in that respect. And how about upstairs at the buffet? The buffet is called the Colonnade, and during uh, breakfast and lunch, there's a mix of like a buff, an actual buffet where you serve yourself and waiter service. So you can go straight to a table, and there will be a menu, and you can a waiter will come over and ask you if there's anything you want, and you can order directly through a waiter. So if you prefer that sort of more hands-off experience. You can do the waiter service, but if you're just looking for something quick, like before or after an excursion, you can grab your own. Um, At night, it turns into a waiter-served venue only, so there's no buffet service. And they have different theme nights. I think there was Italian on one night. I think there might have been barbecue on another. I'm trying to remember specifically, but it's, um, it's also one of the nicest in terms of decor, buffets that I've ever been to. It, it did feel more like a restaurant to me than a buffet. And, oh, their, their donuts were fantastic. They had donuts for breakfast every morning, and that's pretty much all I ate every morning. Nice. Now, outside of the buffet and the main dining room, any specialty or casual-type spots? Yeah, so the casual spot that I mentioned earlier, it's actually the only casual dining area for dinner. During the day, it's called the Patio Grill, and it's like a, a buffet-style counter service type of deal, and it's it's in the pool area. So again, super casual. There's a bar nearby that serves different drinks throughout the trip, so like hot chocolate or hot toddies on a cold Alaska day was pretty awesome. Um, and there's also a little counter nearby that does ice cream, so that was really convenient for dessert to just walk over there. So that was the patio grill during the day. And then at night, it turns into Earth and Ocean, which is a waiter-served casual venue um, where there's a set menu every night, and you can order from that. That was actually my favorite dinner, or one of my favorite. It was tied with the steakhouse, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it was just – I like the outdoor atmosphere, but it – it's on certain nights it's closed because of inclement weather, especially in Alaska. They do have heat lamps, which makes the chilly temperatures a little more tolerable. But by the end of our meal, we were so cold. It was kind of, kind of miserable, but the food was great. And the only thing that annoyed me about earth and ocean is that because it can close during inclement weather, there are some nights when you may not have a casual dining option other than ordering room service. Yeah, so it sounds like with the place by the pool that was kind of casual by day and sit down by night, 
yeah, room service is your only option, it seems, if you want to just kind of grab something. But I guess even room service isn't really kind of grab and go. Like I know like on Princess and other cruise lines, you can actually do dining in your stateroom. So if you're ordering dining on a luxury cruise ship, are they setting it up like a dining room in your stateroom? Yes. And it, it was um... – we weren't expecting it. We were thinking that it would just be standard room service where they bring in a tray and they leave it with you and that's that. And like I said, the, our cabin had a, a full size, you know, like a not a high top, but like it wasn't a coffee table. It was like a normal height dining table with two chairs. So we called for our room service and when they delivered it, a crew member came in and set the food down and then proceeded to put a white tablecloth and all kinds of fancy silverware and plates and, and, you know, really, really nice place settings on the table and then served us our food. So it was a lot different than the room service I've had on other ships, for sure. Any kind of, uh, I know there's always like the Cafe Promenade or Carnival has Java Blue. Any like coffee shops or little delis on board? Yes. Uh, Seabourn Square is the sort of the central hub of the ship. It's not really an atrium, but it's got sort of floor-to-ceiling windows with some really comfortable, like, recliner-type chairs. They have international newspapers, both print and on tablets. And you can there's a cafe there where you can get coffees and pastries and all kinds of little, like, finger sandwiches and snacks if you're hungry between meals. So I guess that's kind of a casual dining option as well, but I wouldn't rely on it for, like, a full meal, especially sure. if you're super hungry. In that area, they've also got some of the onboard shops. There's a small internet cafe with, like, computer terminals and a printer. And then in the center is where you'll find, like, guest services and future cruises and the concierge and stuff like that. And then a couple of times you've made mention of the, what was it, the Thomas Keller Steakhouse? Yeah, the grill by Thomas Keller. So this is the guy that's responsible for um, the French Laundry, per se, and ad hoc. And he has a partnership with Seaborn, so he's got a restaurant on board. That is a dress-up affair. Um, you should, if you're a guy, you should at least have a jacket. I don't think you necessarily need a tie, but you can wear one if you want. Um, and for women, I'd recommend something a little more dressy, like a cocktail dress or uh, like a nice pantsuit or something. The food was out of this world fabulous. I've done several dozen cruises in my lifetime, and I think this is the best steak. I got the, the filet, the best steak I've ever had on a ship. They start the meal out, too, with crudite and these amazing breadsticks that I'm pretty sure they make on board. I probably could have filled up just on those if I had been allowed to do so. And it's, uh, it's you're allowed to dine there once per sailing for free. So that was a nice touch as well. Let's talk about the entertainment on this 11-night cruise. What did you think of it? So I will say I think this is probably the weakest point of the onboard experience. The entertainment pretty much consisted of a group of singers and dancers that did really kind of tired Broadway review style performances. I think we went to one and we didn't even stay for the whole thing. It just it felt a little bit like what Carnival was doing 15 years ago, but without the production value. What I will speak highly of, though, are the enrichment talks. Seaborn has something that they call the Ventures Program, which focuses on sort of 
small group excursions that really explore the area you're cruising in. It's almost a bit like expedition cruising, but like not not full on. It's just kind of it, it gives you that experience without being on an expedition cruise. So they have ventures guides on board who are experts in their fields. And not only do they lead some of these niche excursions, but they also do enrichment talks when you're on board. So they had one on the Klondike Gold Rush on my sailing. They had one on the life cycle of salmon. And they're really great for people who want to learn more about the region in which they're sailing. So that was a that was a strong point within their daily entertainment. Those talks were great on sea days as well. That was kind of where I spent a lot of my time. Um, and they do some pretty cool social activities on board once per sailing. There's something called, I think it's the block party. And it's where at a set time, everyone comes out of their cabins and into the hallway where they're staying and just mingles with their neighbors. And it was nice because even though cruising is a more social vacation than a lot of other vacations, I find that I don't often get to know the people in the cabins next to me or across from me. So it was a nice way to meet them. And they do something called caviar in the surf which is where they have crew members serving you caviar, which, by the way, a lot of people don't know this, but on seaborne ships, caviar is free on demand. Anywhere you are on board, you can order it and have it brought to you. Okay. I'm not a big fan of caviar, so I didn't take advantage of it, but it's good to know. Um, and that's just another example of luxury cruises, including more in the price. Mm-hmm. But the caviar and the surf, they have... They do it one day when you're ashore and the crew members actually wade into the water with trays of caviar and serve it to you. I mean, you obviously have to, have to wade into the water as well. <laughs> and in Alaska, since the weather is so chilly, they do it on board in the pool instead of ashore. Wow. Okay. Caviar on demand. Interesting. Um, back to the enrichment talks. It blows my mind, the whole life cycle of a salmon. Yeah. They go through a lot. They really do. They they fight and they fight and they fight to swim upstream to spawn and they fight and then they die. Like yeah, it's just it's, wild. it's really sad. And it amazes me that they're able to return to the areas where they were born mm-hmm. in order to spawn. Like they just know. It's like they've got some weird internal homing device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild, their whole life cycle. Uh, so let's talk about sea days. Uh, how was it as far as crowds and congestion on board? I never felt like it was overly crowded. The The flow of passengers was pretty spread out, which was nice. They do have a fantastic afternoon tea in the observation lounge, which, as the name implies, has really, really great views, sort of panoramic around the top of the ship. So you can look at where you're sailing. They did a lot of scenic sailing because obviously it was Alaska, and they had, as I mentioned before, a lot of enrichment talks throughout the day. So it, it was overall, though, there wasn't a lot going on. It was more of a relaxing vibe where you could just kind of sit and read or watch the scenery go by. Ours was uh, an 11-night sailing. I think we had four sea days, and then there were some partial sea days. So just you know, cruising between destinations and stuff. I'd say if you totaled it all up, it would probably be like maybe five sea days total including those partials. Okay. So as far as the ports of call, what ports of call did you hit? And give us a highlight from each one. I realize that you probably did a good amount on an 11-night cruise. 
Yeah, so we, as you mentioned, we started in Vancouver, and then we had a sea day on day two, followed by Ketchikan, where I did the lumberjack show excursion. It was cute. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for someone who isn't into kitschy fun. Uh, it's probably best if you have kids, <laughs> but it was it was pretty neat. Some they did were able to do some some pretty jaw-dropping stuff. Most of day four was cruising. And then we anchored in Misty Fjord where I did a kayaking excursion. And that was pretty cool. That was one of the ventures excursions. So it was guided. And I think there were maybe 10 of us max. And we paddled around and saw some some wildlife and our guide pointed out the different types of plants that we encountered and snapped a few photos in front of a waterfall. So that was definitely worth the money. And then day five was a partial cruising day. And we also had a call on Wrangell, which is one of the smaller Alaska ports. So again, one of the advantages of sailing on a smaller ship. I did a seven mile guided hike, another ventures excursion. Rainbow Falls, which now I hike a decent amount. I'm a distance runner. I sort of fancy myself fit. And I was dead by the time this hike was over. So another excursion, well worth its money. I definitely underestimated how difficult it was going to be, but it was a good time. Um, And it rained for most of that. So that was an added challenge. Day six was Sitka, which is a lovely, lovely, lovely small port. I think it was probably my favorite of the whole itinerary. Um, I have a friend who's a local there. So we met up and had some lunch and she showed us around, went to the Totem Pole Park, which was really neat to see. The culture there is so fascinating. And the fact that they can carve these monstrous wooden structures that tell a story is really inspiring. Day seven was another cruise day, so just at sea. And day eight was Haines, which was sort of a a port with a a more of a slow pace, I guess. A lot of Alaska ports have a slow pace, but this one was even slower. So we rented bikes and just rode around and saw some of the sights, found an amazing dive bar that we stopped in for a couple of beers, Alaska beers, obviously. And then got back on the ship, but not before we stopped at a great local art gallery and bought some paintings, which was a nice end to the day. And then we did Juno on day nine, which, I mean, Juno is Juno. It's very touristy. Unfortunately, there were lots of ships in port, shoulder to shoulder people walking down the main streets. Um, It was a struggle to try to get a table at a restaurant that we were trying to go to. So we ended up going a little ways out of town and eating at Tracy's Crab Shack, which I highly recommend. And then day 10 was the Indian Islands. And on that day, I did a catamaran excursion, another ventures one. Saw tons of sea lions and birds of all different kinds. So it was definitely a wildlife kind of day. And then uh, later that day, the same day, day 10, we did Icy Street, which has a fabulous zip line if you're into that adrenaline pumping kind of stuff. It was so high and so fast that by the time we got to the bottom, I couldn't hear anything because my ears had popped so badly. (laughs) So it's, it's good if you like a thrill. And then we had another sea day on day 11 before we ended up in Seward. And unfortunately, we had 
a flight that was fairly early in the day, so we didn't have much time to do sightseeing there. But that was the quick and dirty of the itinerary. Yeah, that zip line at Icy Strait Point, it's actually the world's longest because it's over a mile long. I'm glad I did it once, but I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> it was so, I, I, I've done other zip lines and I love them. And, and this one was definitely a rush, but yeah. it, it almost takes a physical toll. I've read about Rainbow Falls Trail in Wrangell. Is that, you mentioned it rained on you, but isn't there a lot of steps up and down on that trail? Yes. So it's all, they call them boardwalks, which mm-hmm. is a little deceiving because when I think of boardwalk, I think like, like long and flat at the shore where it's yeah. flat and not at all difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, these were actually just wooden steps that they had built into the side of the mountain, both going up and going back down. And there were areas where it was super treacherous, sheer drop offs. There's in some places there were railings, but very few. They do maintain the trail really well for how long it is. And a lot of the wood has like a metal grating on it. Mm-hmm. It's not quite chicken wire, but something similar so that it helps you to better grip. But I, I highly, highly stress that if you're going to hike anywhere in Alaska, wear hiking boots. I, It's just dangerous. Otherwise, they gave us hiking poles as well, which is nice because then we didn't have to bring our own. I, I'm curious, just like that sounds like a pretty active excursion that you did and also like the kayaking and everything. What is the demographic yep. on this cruise? I would say probably it, was, it seemed to be mostly people from maybe like their late 40s to 60s. Okay. Um, I was surprised though. There well, there was a fair number of like what I would guess were 30 and 40 somethings, but they seemed to be part of family groups that were traveling together. So Alaska in general, regardless of the cruise line that you go with, is more of an active destination. The nice thing about Seabourn's excursions, though, is that they were marked very clearly according to activity level and skill level. So, for example, their Zodiac, the Zodiac is like an inflatable raft that they store on the ship and they take them out in port to kind of get you up close to some of the wildlife stuff and the glaciers and all that. Oh, and actually, I forgot to mention that we did stop in Endicott Arm to see, I believe it's the Dawes Glacier. Mm-hmm. And we did a, a catamaran tour of that, um, which was amazing. It's it. It almost looks like a, a blue freeze pop. And then every once in a while, it would calve. And it sounds like thunder cracking. And then a big chunk of ice falls into the water. So that was definitely a big highlight. But back to the skill level, they mark their excursions so that you'll know what you need to be able to do to go on the excursion. So for example, the Zodiacs, the inflatable rafts, you have to be able to sit upright without back support and actually get into the raft from the ship which they have crew members to help you do. But, you know, they, they'll say for the hikes, like you need to be able to walk on an incline for a certain distance. And so they're very clear about what the physical limits are. You started in Vancouver, you ended in Seward. So how was disembarkation in Seward, Alaska? It was quick and easy. I mean, it didn't really stand out to me other than the fact that there were no pain points. It, it was just really simple. Got off the ship got into our transfer and went to the airport and that was pretty much it. How far is the Anchorage airport from Seward? Um, It's about a two hour drive. So you're going to want to factor that in when you're booking flights to make sure you have enough time to get to the airport 
and get through security and stuff with that two-hour drive after you disembark. The drive is gorgeous, lots of really beautiful things to see. Um, You'll drive around the Kenai Peninsula in order to get there, so have your camera ready for sure. Any first-time tips to offer either someone sailing Alaska or someone sailing Seabourn for the first time? Yeah, so when you're going to Alaska, the weather is going to vary a lot. It can go from being warm and sunny to being chilly and raining. So you want to pack layers for sure and things that will dry easily if they do get wet. Definitely bring hiking boots and maybe one other pair of sturdy shoes in case the hiking boots get wet so that you're not sidelined for a day until they dry. Like I said, if you're doing seaborne, leave room in your luggage for that parka that they're going to give you. And so I was a little concerned before going on the sailing that I was going to find it boring or snooty or stuffy because I am very used to the mainstream cruise lines like Norwegian and Carnival and MSC and Royal. I didn't find it to be that way at all. The passengers were super friendly, really outgoing, and I'm not the usual uh, demographic, even age-wise, for a ship like this, but I had no problem making friends and finding things to talk about with my fellow passengers. So that was a pleasant surprise. It is a more luxurious experience on board, but if it's your first time to Alaska, don't be shocked if some of the larger ports are super crowded. Usually with luxury, you're not looking for that super touristy experience, but there are some ports on this itinerary that were very touristy, like Juno, as I mentioned. And be sure to bring binoculars and a good camera because this could be a once in a lifetime opportunity for you to see some things that you might not ever see again, like the glaciers or the wildlife. So just go with an open mind and you'll have a great time. What was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you? Definitely the hike. <laughs> It, it challenged me and surprised me in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I had muscles hurting that I forgot I had and hadn't used in years. So I think for me, it was a highlight and an accomplishment. Uh, and I, I also highly recommend the afternoon tea that mm-hmm. I mentioned in the observation lounge. Don't miss that. That was a highlight as well. So I totally forgot to ask you a couple of questions during this because I was caught up on the allure of Alaska. Um, as far as, first off, The casino, as far as like the smoke situation in and around, can you give us anything on that? The casino on the ship is really small and there was never anyone in it when I passed by. So I don't know about the smoking in there. I know that smoking is not allowed in the like the bars, lounges or public areas or in the cabins, but they have designated smoking areas outside on deck in certain places There's actually, I think there is also one near one of the pools. They have this great heated pool that has a phenomenal view of the fjords and like the areas where you're sailing. And it's just outside of the main lounge and bar area. And that that sort of serves as a multi-purpose room where you get suited up in your wetsuits and your other gear for those excursions, mainly the adventures excursions that I was talking about. And there's also like a, It's kind of weird, but there's a jukebox in that room and a a dance floor. So you can play music if you feel like dancing. I never saw a DJ or anything like that on board. So I think, you know, that's kind of like the main source of music in in the lounge, which is a Mm -hmm. little bizarre to me. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think we covered pretty much everything here. um, Anything else you want to touch on? Um, 
I mean, I'll just say that overall, Seaborn's more expensive than a mainstream line, but you'll definitely get what you pay for. There, you know, there's, I was talking about the inclusions before, free alcohol with, with lunch and dinner, with the exception of like top shelf liquor, which you'll pay a little bit extra for. Another thing I forgot to mention is that you'll get free laundry. They have laundry facilities on board. It's it's self-service, but they provide the soap and everything. So you don't have to pay to use the machines or bring your own soap. And when you board, they give you two bottles of free alcohol of your choosing in nice. your cabin. And these are full-size bottles. So like they give them to you for free and you can choose from a list I went with Bailey's as one of mine because it was great to just pour a little bit into my coffee after coming back from a chilly excursion or whatever. So I guess just to summarize, you're going to get more for your money on a luxury cruise, even if the price tag is a little bit higher. All right. And final thoughts on Seaborn Sojourn. It's a fantastic little ship. It's friendly. The service is amazing. Super elegant without being stuffy or pretentious. All right. We've been talking with Ashley about her 11-night cruise aboard Seaborn Sojourn. I guess you would call it a northbound cruise because it started in Vancouver and ended in Seward, Alaska. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. No problem. Thanks, Doug. During these difficult times for the travel industry, Cruise Radio stands behind the men and women who work so hard to bring our vacation dreams to life. From the captains and crew to travel agents, tour operators, vendors and port employees we offer a sincere thank you on behalf of the thousands of guests whose lives you impact each and every day 